0: Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. The opinions expressed in the program by the host and the guests are their personal opinions only. Remember, feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Managing Director of State Street Digital Assets. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, and welcome along to another episode of Beyond Bitcoin. My name is Derek Graham, and of course, I'm here with my friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. Hello, Nitin.
1: Hey, Derek. Glad to be here again. That's all the week.
0: So nothing's happened in the last week. You know, the <laughs> pres- <laughs> really, the pres- President Biden, of course, has visited Kiev, um, Kiev and uh, on the anniversary of Russia's invasion and pledged enduring support. You know the U.S., South Korea, and Japan are doing maneuvers around North Korea. China's hinting that they might support Russia and provide more arms. Gary Gensler using 1929 <laughs> cannons in the form of the SEC regulations, <laughs> security regulations, to attack um, to attack the entire crypto space in the USA. Of course, only. Um, Yet the market's risen 7% this month alone and 48% year to date. So I've got to start by asking the question, what is it correlating to? Or is it starting to march to its own beat with all this activity around? What do you think, Nitin?
1: No, I think, uh, so Derek, I know we, the entire news media is all about SEC versus crypto, right? And, mm. and I want to take actually look at the bright spots because the market has gone up. We've, we've seen a massive improvement and i think the industry is applauding the resiliency of bitcoin as an asset class uh, trying to beat many of the trends and i want to focus more on technical innovations and advancements that the industry has seen and that that to me is contributing factors to not only bitcoin's growth but also bitcoin led the industry growth because bitcoin happens to be the benchmark asset as yes. we know yes so a few things are on bitcoin some really which we haven't spent time only because the theme of our podcast is beyond beyond Bitcoin, but I think we should spend some time <laughs> on Bitcoin today because Bitcoin is central to this entire thematic story of the entire industry in the past few few weeks. So one thing is Ordinals. So there's a this Bitcoin protocol. Uh, again, it has sparked a lot of debate. Is the notion of FTX? Oh, sorry, uh, FTX notion of uh, of uh, NFTs on Bitcoin, and there's been debate in saying there's a lot of Bitcoin maxis who would like the Bitcoin to be pure, purely yes. as a payment system, only focusing on one homogenous transaction, which is Bitcoin itself. And the interesting thing is that the Bitcoin inscription protocol, which is called Ordinals, it went live about a month ago. And essentially, this protocol allows users to inscribe references, and I'll give analogies in a real world, and to digital art, and you could pretty much package anything into this inscription it could be or you know url it could be link it could be an image as long as it adheres to this four megabyte restriction that in the past innovation like segwit and tarot and and taproot have brought into existence right so this is similar to sort of having small denomination of bitcoin so think of it as bitcoin which is traditionally fungible units uh, suddenly, now you can inscribe something similar to, let's say, you have a dollar bill, and you go and you have, uh, you know, Lionel Messi sign on that dollar bill, and suddenly the dollar bill value goes up. It's something similar to that. In in if I were to make that analogy, that now you're taking a sat, which is the 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 lowest common denominator and the the single common unit of of Bitcoin, and and you provide a numerical value, inscribe a few things to it, and that suddenly suddenly is no longer fungible because it has a unique element to it. Right, And so it gives rise to this massive ecosystem, which historically uh, was was sort of not touched upon by the ecosystem. And suddenly now you have NFTs grow and that led to this ordinal protocol enables, again, the users to reference these things. But it had a massive impact on the debate of what happens when every Bitcoin is mined. This is expected in 2040, of course. Mm -hmm. So it's trying to solve the Bitcoin fee problem because suddenly now Bitcoin fees for this large 4MB block, which which has the inscription, is come to focus, which I think is necessary debate. Uh, it has utility that's no longer just about Bitcoins um, and try, as, a, as a payment instrument or store of value movement. It's about something fun, which is what NFT was all about, supposed to be all about. Uh, so it's trying to bring the utility into the system. And it, it also, to me, is partly due to the impact of recent regulatory actions where Bitcoin is in clear. With true utility like Bitcoin in general is truly decentralized and it doesn't have any regulatory focus on it. So people are saying, hey, uh, and again, this is also due to the fact that ETH staking was under attack and, uh, you know, as a debate to see if that happens to be a regulated activity as a security, uh, as we have seen with the Kraken fines and SEC, in, in, you know, encroaching on that sort of domain per se. So to me, I think this is a little bit of function to say, hey, Bitcoin seemed to be clear why don't we go innovate on in Bitcoin? Because we have all kinds of clarity only because the underlying asset class itself is the utility. Right. And, so, and, and while all these are positives, I think it still has created this new use cases and, and controversies as, as Bitcoin maxis would want it to be pure. They don't want ape gifts uh, and, and you know on the Bitcoin blockchain, for example, and some view it as fun and utilitarian, as I mentioned before. So I'll take a pause, Derek. Uh, that to me is exciting and i'm going to i think we should we should at some point spend some more time on this and the so ecosystem I've, that's involved
0: i found the entire debate fascinating because it's a cultural debate it's a cultural debate between the purists the bitcoin maximalists and those that are turning around and saying no this industry is full of utilitarian tokens so let's make it useful in this particular case and not only that let's be creative about it so firstly there's two very different cultures involved um, the next thing I wonder. I mean, essentially, it's the minimum size Bitcoin that's capable of being transacted, and it's inscribed with a, a non-fungible token, making that piece of Bitcoin no longer
1: fungible. Is that correct? Correct. So it's like you. Uh, uh, let me take an example of the the dollar, which is signed by Lionel Messi. I can still spend it. I can go to the store and spend it, and people will accept that right. as a dollar. Yep. chances are I will not and chances are the person who's accepting it will probably get more of its value if, if Lionel Messi's signature is, is of value to the world and they will cherish it they will take that whole thing and they will resell it and so it's similar to that where SATs are the lowest denominator or you know, the lowest unit in Bitcoin you can still use it as Satoshi and use it for payments but if it's an NFT it's, it's akin to inscribing a serial number to a dollar bill, uh, which makes it unique at some point, and so that non-fungibility is due to encryption, but Sat still holds its value uh, from from that perspective. And more importantly, I think that, believe it or not, after almost a month, the NFT activity is a thousand percent up yes. on Bitcoin network. And yes. And then you have ecosystem like Stacks and I've known Muneeb and his work for all, almost over eight, nine years. He's he's the guy behind Stacks and the likes of layer two networks, like lightning networks and newer sort of uh, wallets that are emerging trying to solve it. To me, it's, it's, it's like giving it another life altogether and mm. generating an excitement uh, of the longest standing digital asset in that ecosystem. I think it's fantastic.
0: I think so too. It's extraordinary. I mean, essentially, you're taking—if um, you use the analogy around gold—you're taking gold as a serious um, store of wealth, and then you're taking these tiny little things off gold, and you're in you're virtually laser inscribing them with NFTs yeah. and creating art out of them. Um, uh, so, I'm, I'm certainly on the side that I think it creates something beautiful in the whole process. But there's more happening out there at the moment, and uh, yeah, and yeah.
1: So, so let's look at Solana, which I, t- I thought was dead after FTX blowout, yes. um, which was interesting. I figured FTX was the single sort of uh, you know a- entity that was sort of propping up this layer one protocol. But you know, in the past month, Solana has seen over 400 projects popping up on Solana. And there are reasons for it, of course. Helium, which I was, I'm a huge fan mm-hmm. of Helium, truly decentralizing telco networks and going after low-ray van, which is low you know, low range, wide area networks and allowing people to be able to host these sort of routers in their house and them able to monetize this only because they're able to provide these hops, especially in places like New York, where you have very high density of population and telco networks don't really scale. Mm. A perfect solution for that and, and truly decentralizing wireless networks with HNT tokens. And early on, there were some parts of it were in Ethereum and then they tried to move to Polygon. And eventually they made a decision now to move to Solana. And the entire ecosystem, Derek, uh, which is the HNT token itself, the mobile, the IoT. So imagine the entire communication protocol sort of you know, embarking on that, uh, You know, again, giving life to the Solana ecosystem, 400 plus different projects that have popped up. And at the same time, which to me was very surprising because at the end of the day, Ethereum's rise was because of the ecosystem. It was all about developers. It's all about oh. developers developing new projects and oh. getting interested in this massive growth in the ecosystem. Uh, for some reason this month, Solana saw new highest number of developers contributing to the ecosystem with about 80, 83% rise. So it overnight double the capacity of the developers going after building on Solana. And it's fastest ever seen in the industry. It's even faster than what we have seen with uh, with, uh, with with uh, with with uh, with you know Ethereum, compared to that, I think polygons are forty percent, Cosmos are twenty five percent, dots are two percent. But these are all, and and there are some underlying themes direct, which I don't want to bore the audience with technicalities. But there's a Rust versus Go debate that's happening, where Rust is things things are easy. I mean, sorry, Go Lang, which is the programming language behind Ethereum, it's easy, which attracts a lot of developers. But Rust is more performant, and at the end of the day people are wondering that hey, let's go more after more you know uh, a much more you know better programming language that allows us to be a, more resilient in the ecosystem than simply churning out more and more projects yes and that is an interesting trend eric because if the tides were to turn by next year uh ethereum which is now housing about 90 plus percent of defi ecosystem if that shifts to solana you can imagine the entire economic output of solana itself and that is a significant, and I'm going to watch this closely, of course, a significant shift in economics of layer one protocols. And I'm not, you know, uh, one, I'm super surprised that Solana, despite all the failures at FTX, this it's, it's, you know, at the end of the day, I think good technology wins. And I'm going to keep a close eye on that.
0: So it's intriguing that um, how immersed people get into the moment. If we were talking about this late November last year, um, post the FTX crash, knowing that FTX has a very substantial holding in Solana um, through Alameda by our, if I recall correctly, um, the market looked at it and said the entire crypto market is collapsing and FTX has this massive overhang in Solana, we're selling it down and it's sold down from in the 80s down to, you know, ultimately down to about $10 even under ten dollars, <laughs> and all of that's passed. So, so clearly, I would say Alameda still has the um, holding of Solana, um, and that's now probably held by the um, by the administrators, as we call them here in Australia, but by the by the um, uh, the uh, manager in possession. Um, and yeah. and one would expect that that's going to be managed correctly when that time comes to realise that asset. But the industry's just moved on. They've turned around yeah. and said that's okay. It's fine, Solana. We like the platform. We like its its inexpensive exchange yeah. rate. We're we're okay with it. it's not as much decentralized and uh, as 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 other decentralized platforms might be. And off we go and develop. And that's happened in this enormous period of time, of two and a half months.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and I'll tell you this: that uh, that's such a, a a cool observation, Derek. And I didn't even think about that. I was just focused on this cool uh, bunch of new ecosystems. And and these are not just projects, Derek. These are ecosystems. This is the entire, like, for example, Helium Mm. is an entire ecosystem. They have completely Mm. moved. Uh, And it used to be a layer one on its own merit because it was supporting the telco ecosystem. And the old ecosystem, which is, uh, you know, Solana had a decentralized exchange, Hydra, HydraSwap, and Orca. It had AMMs, automated market makers. It had... Uh yield aggregators, the sole farm and sole yard, it had stable coin, it has NFTs, all that still exist. So I think those are kind of cool. And 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 talking about FTX, we have to mention this. One of the uh I would say collateral damage of FTX fallout is another hedge fund called Galois, I think it's French, Galois, Galois capital, which is quite big in its in its in its uh, in glory days. Uh, eventually is shutting down because a lion's share of its assets were tied up with with uh, FTX and, and uh, you know, they've lost all, all, of, you know, all of their funds. So they're closing the shop, which to me, again, is, a, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll see many such news and many such sort of, whether it's hedge funds or VC firms who've used FTX, um, whether it's Alameda or whether it's Exchange, uh, having lost funds and having lost access to the funds. Uh, would have to shut down, which to me is yes. a sad thing. But but uh, you know it is what it is.
0: Well, I mean, look, it's 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 a fundamental rule in fund management that you don't have all of your money in one location or your vast majority sure. in one location. It's called point risk, and it's extraordinary sure. that so many funds did have so much point risk to see that occur. Maybe they were using the theory that FTX was just too big to collapse, but of course, sure. as we now know that. <laughs> Um, so much of that was was um, uh, you know reinvested and rehypothecated on the way through and causing its collapse. But never have point risk. Always spread your assets. that's that's the rule for fund managers. Um, so we've we've also we've also seen um, you know this this battle between um, the SEC occurring, of course, and and the US. But I'm going to step away from that just for a moment.
1: Look at what's happening in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think the SFC, which is Security and Futures Commission, published its proposed rule on crypto platforms. I think they're reasserting because there was a time and me and you both would go to Hong Kong quite a bit pre-COVID. Yes. A okay. vibrant ecosystem, a mm-hmm. lot of investments coming in from all around the world, talent pouring into, into and combination of COVID and prior to that, the um, the protests uh, in in Hong Kong, really kill that entire ecosystem, and they're trying to revive that. And in that mm. effort, SFC are seeking and the right approach. They actually have a public course and seeking comments to say, "Hey, does this make sense in terms of having investor protection and and uh, you know and consumer protection measures in saying that every platform needs to have apply for a license, and what that means is that license will require them to adhere to certain liquidity and certain prudential." sort of regulation that uh, that protects the investors. And eventually once the license is granted, that means they have controls in place and they have the jurisdiction rights. Uh, that's not only for the the newer players, but also existing players, which to me was, well, given it's Hong Kong, and given that they want to come back to being sort of the dominant sort of access to Asia from financial market perspective, and now it's competing with even more powerful Singapore. I think is a step in the right direction, Derek. And I also think that it's it's also, uh, to me, for the Western world, some clarity saying, yeah, you can do business here and this is how we do it, uh, which I is not so the case too. in the entire West. And and
0: often, you know, one could look at Hong Kong maybe these days because it's totally owned by China um, as a petri dish of experiments. So China sure. might be using it to experiment to see, well, what happens if we give these sort of access to, the, to consumers. What happens yeah. if, um, and that contains it, but it, it's an opportunity to experiment. And of course, interactive brokers um, announced during yeah. the week that they intend to enable Bitcoin trading to occur on their platform in Hong Kong. Well, they're absolutely enormous, they're mainstream and they're on all the brokers' screens. And right. so that being the case, that's another on-ramp into the space. What I'm getting the sense of here, Nitin, is that what we're going to see going forward is, I think, a threatened America, an America that's worried <laughs> about its reserve system, an America America's worried about its banking and, and financial system, um, backing up and trying to protect itself, and a s- two-speed um, global economy occurring in crypto assets, and that is the likes of you know South Korea and Hong Kong, Singapore, Europe, UK many other financial powerhouses turning around and going, no, we're embracing this. We think this is extraordinary. We'll get yeah. efficiencies out of this speed out of this performance out of this because you have to remember, you look at the top 20 users of crypto currently and Vietnam's number one, India's number two. I think Ukraine is number three or four. The U S hits at number five. Um, and then after that, it keeps going and they're developing nations that need to utilize the technology. So, So we that in Australia particularly, we're not even in the top 20, um, we sit here with a banking system and infrastructure that works. And we keep pontificating about what should be and shouldn't be from a banking system that works. Yes, it's not efficient. Yes, it's well, somewhat controlled and corrupt in certain areas. And I don't mean that from a conspiracy point of view. I'm just saying that there's a lot of self-benefiting going on Um, and, and yet, there's countries like Vietnam that aren't concerned about this at all. It's like, get on with it. We need to create tokens. We need to create ways of doing business. We want to do business on an international platform. We want to transfer our funds instantaneously across the world. And we don't want a country to determine whether we're allowed to or not allowed to. Um, So I think we sort of need to give ourselves a shake and see that if this is going to happen in the U S that it's highly likely to cause a two speed global economy in crypto assets. And I would argue, that the speed outside the US is going to develop really quickly. What do you think, Nitin?
1: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I think there's not just the crypto movement also. I think if you look at uh, the various camps and now it's BRICS, Brazil, India, Brazil, yes. India, China, South Africa, and Russia, they are looking into, again, this goes back to commodities markets and everything else. So I think there's a lot of geopolitical forces in, in motion, but, but looking into... US. So let's look at SEC versus the crypto industry. This is this mm. is Papa Gensler. Uh and <laughs> and the things that had transpired in the last few weeks. Uh, first thing was which some of them are significant changes to the industry in general. So of course, SEC versus sort of staking, which is kraken, you know, uh, which offered a product. So I don't think it's an attack on staking itself as long as staking is decentralized, but the way the product was structured, it met all the requirements of the again, 1939. Uh, sort of act in terms of or how we test described a security, it met those. So it is not exactly you know uh, out of the ordinary, but I think to the industry, it's, it felt like that it were it's attack on, on staking itself. But yes, there's still unknowns, which means that at some point staking is an organized activity and there may be a central player. And so when you have this notion of common enterprise, and if there's a central player trying to organize these. They will have a notion of profit because that's how the business works and that's how people are trying to do these things. So when you start looking into some of those, the formation of these entities, then to me at some point, everything that that requires a common enterprise and that requires some element of people making profits will eventually gravitate towards it being a security. But more importantly, I think, is, you know, um, again, SEC, uh, they, they sued Paxos, for violation of investor protection laws, especially for BUSD, so it's not an attack on all stable coins. But what's interesting about this week was that FA, FSB, which is Financial Stability Board, international organization of this G20 bankers and central bankers, mm-hmm. um, hinted on that 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 many existing stable coins, one meets this final recommendation of global you know, as a stable coin, as a stable sort of currency per se, and uh, it may impact on the financial stability of the globe. So not only there's an attack on some of the bespoke stable coins but fsb which is again uh, a global body says like not all stable coins will meet their agenda so there's a little bit of this open question on what stable coins are uh but something that is was significant this this week which actually affects even portal asset management to a certain extent well not yet yeah. because you know from a us perspective is the notion of the uh recommendation from sec for amendments to the 2009 custody rule which apply to all custodian of all assets including cryptocurrencies and what that means is that according to and this is still 60 days of common period from the ecosystem communities and we'll see as to how the existing financial institutions and the de novo finance, financial institutions react to it is it's recommending the amendment to the custody rule to apply custodian of all assets which means that Uh, exactly like today you have a vertically integrated like an exchange Coinbase is a custodian and prime brokerage. It's an exchange. It has all vertically integrated elements. And the idea there is that, you know, suddenly now hedge funds exchanges, they all would have to use a qualified custodian and not all crypto trading platforms or not all crypto exchanges qualify or are licensed to be a qualified custodian. Hmm. I know that because I work for one. Uh, At the moment, and I think so that sort of creates a market structure problem that suddenly now, no matter who you are, you only have a few qualified custodian who can provide custody of the assets. And I think that that's if that goes through, it creates a significant hurdle in the industry because industry would have to reorganize. This is crypto industry Mm -hmm. and you begin to now behave like a traditional finance. And so I'll say one more thing and I'll pause to get your get your reaction, Derek, is all in all, I think that the industry is a need for a brand new framework that does not regulate, measure and control the crypto assets as traditional assets, simply because these are different instruments and different industry. And implementation enforcement of both can be Herculean and if not an impossible task, because many of these are, are utilitarian assets and, and token that are meant to be, you know, allowing the holders to participate whether it's voting rights or whether it's taking or whether it's so it's an active instrument as opposed to traditional financial instruments that are used for things like collateral management and borrowing and lending. Uh, so there's a little subtle difference between the digital asset versus the traditional assets. And I think that uh, that debate, even if if this particular custody rule goes through requiring what they call as QC or qualified custodian, I think that will be a significant burden to the crypto industry for its growth. I'll pause here, Derek, and love to get your thoughts on this as well.
0: It's a 1929 cannon that's getting shot at us. You know, that's a 1929 Securities Exchange Act. It's old. It never predicted what's going to happen in digital assets. It's 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 no longer current and relevant to digital assets. Um, but it's trying to you know, the SEC is trying to fit it in there. Now this is this is all because of course Um, you know, there's been a singular presidential executive order that's been put out to 17 different departments to essentially analyse, and I really think, you know, um, attack and protect, because they've said there in point B of his presidential order, we must protect the United States and the global financial stability and mitigate systematic risk. Can I interpret that another way for a moment? We must interpret, (laughs) we we must protect the US monetary system and mitigate any attack on it. That's really what they're saying. Um, And and the reinforcement of the United States leadership in global financial systems, that's just another statement saying, we're trying to protect the US dollar being a reserve currency. You know, there's not a perception from the very high levels of government that in fact, this is beneficial on a global basis. There's a perception that this attacks the financial system of the US and it attacks their dominance. And that's what they're concerned about. So retreating to traditional custodians, in other words, centralised banking systems to hold people's assets, is probably what you'd expect from a 1929 Securities Act and from um, a presidential um, executive order that's talking about protection. But here I go, because the US is meant to be the great democracy of the world. It's the one where the people get up and speak. It's the one where the House of Congress and the Senate's meant to work together to achieve things. And here we have a situation where the SEC, which is just the police officer, they don't make the rules, they're just the police officers, is running around enforcing ancient rules. What has to happen is the community needs to rise up. It needs to be very proactive in lobbying. And we actually need to see some regulations brought through where the SEC finds themselves in a position where they are, you know, forced to regulate under appropriate regulations. So this is a little bit rogue at the moment, frankly, in my view, what's happening at the moment. It's a rogue attack without Congress providing a set of regulations to support it. And I hope that the greater America, which is the America that gets, gets, you know, lobbying together and, and, and um, has, has, the the voice of the people is able to get in there and make a statement. And I think that's one of the reasons why Gary Gensler is doing these inane and childish videos describing staking to everybody, (laughs) saying it's a very naughty little thing, you know. Um, He's trying to appeal to the consumers out there who I think, good chance, they might rebel. So I'm hoping that you'll see what you want there, which is a new set of regulations occurring and that they take into account but in the meantime, I think you're seeing vested interests protecting themselves. <laughs> what What do you think, Nidin?
1: No, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I also think that ubiquity, uh, if the world begins to believe in any of the digital assets, and they become, I think the challenge now, at least from my vantage point, is the market depth. There are not enough Bitcoins to measure the values of our assets all around the world. And if that becomes big enough, and the world begins to consume uh, more Bitcoin, then at some point, we'll have to get on board with it, because at the end of the day, US is still in terms of population, in terms of it may be the biggest economy for now, but there's still the rest of the world uh, that that is sort of accountable for propping up the US dollar dominance per se, only because all the commodities yes. are traded in it. So I think there's a little bit of that acceptance element. But what's interesting, Derek, and this is to me was I, I laughed. Well, I actually was I was riding bike yesterday and I was in listening to a bunch of the podcast and I came across a bunch of uh, conspiracy theorists who were talking about the fact that while this is happening, U.S. is preparing for Bitcoin dominance by hoarding all the Bitcoins uh, <laughs> that eventually when the <laughs> when U.S. dollar loses its dominance and Bitcoin becomes dominant, we'll have enough to maintain the next wave of the financial system dominance through Bitcoin. And I thought that was super interesting. <laughs> of course, there's no evidence of any of that stuff, but I, I anybody who came up with it, I'm like, you know, that's someone has to be super smart to say, let's go put Bitcoin down while we're buying all these things. But eventually when this comes up, we'll we'll still be in charge. Uh, I, I thought that was interesting on, on, on that note, uh, Derek.
0: <laughs> I, I love it. I mean, I love conspiracy theories because evidence <laughs> is just purely optional. It's not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> True. Hey, Nitin, um, you've got a guest coming next week. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, so it's a good friend of mine. We worked together at IBM. He was in Promontory. He was actually working with many of the global financial services clients in uh, devising the regulatory and compliance practice around digital assets. Uh, as I moved to one of the largest financial institutions in the world, he as well joined the firm at the same time and now he's responsible for again uh, looking into governance and regulation you know around regulation compliance of digital assets and how do we adhere to it so has a strong background in digital asset but also in terms of how these regulations are evolving around the world especially in the us so i'm looking forward to his perspectives because while we are uh, as technologists and as sort of financiers and as fin- financial services sort of professionals uh, that we all aspire to be. I, I think we, our perspective on, on regulation is mostly towards what we read and what we understand. But I think this perspective will be more holistic, in my opinion. So looking forward to that. Perfect.
0: Look forward to that too. Thanks for another interesting episode. And uh, thank you, everybody, thank you, for listening. By all means, you know, subscribe and uh, share it amongst like-minded people, as I regularly say. And we'll keep you up to date with the broader picture, um, of what's happening in the crypto industry in the community, and also sometimes in the, a deeper down dive into some of the more interesting tokens and communities that are occurring. Look forward to seeing everyone next week. Bye for now, and bye for now Nitin.
1: Take care, Derek. See you next week.
0: We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please contact Nitin Gower or myself on the emails displayed here or via our LinkedIn profiles. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends.
1: Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week.